we just feel real blessed to have Don Willingham with us. Don has uh, been through a lot of things. His uh, father was a preacher, you know, and it's tough growing up as a PK, a preacher's kid. And uh, he survived that. And uh, he had a sister who was young and who passed away, which was a tough time. And his mother was working in a store and she was robbed and murdered, which was a terrible thing to go through. And uh, Don's wife has come down with Parkinson's and is a, in a tough situation. But uh, despite all that, he's got a great spirit because he loves the Lord and the Lord loves him. And the Lord uses him in a powerful way. And uh, you're going to enjoy being in class tonight and the lesson that uh, Don will have for us. Let's begin with a word of prayer, then we'll just turn it over to Don. And Don, when you get through teaching tonight, just shut it down, whether it's 15 minutes or 30 minutes or an hour or whatever. Okay. Holy Father in heaven, we love you and are grateful for the many ways you bless us. And we're thankful tonight that we can come together as brothers and sisters who love you and who want to know more about your word. I just pray, Father, you'll bless Don as he speaks to us tonight. And dear Father, may we learn some things that will help us as we serve you. Dear God, may we be doers of your words and not just hearers only. We pray your blessings upon each one who has really gotten out in a tough time tonight, dear Father. We love you and are grateful for our great Savior, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Mr. Don Willingham. Don? Well, it's good to be back with you again. Thank you for having me, Dick. Thanks for allowing me to do this. And uh, before I get started, I have to tell you a really quick story. My first job of the day today at AT&T um, was a lady I was putting in UVerse Internet for. And it turned into be quite a bit of work. She was in a new neighborhood out here in Sansi, and so I had to do some cable work and had to get in her attic and a lot of other things. In the process, we started talking, and uh, she said, you know, I'd prayed this morning that God would send me a Christian. And I basically told her, you know, well, my, I go to church, and my dad was a minister, and then eventually I told her that I was a minister, and she says, I can't believe it. I played for a Christian, and I got a minister. <laughs> so, and you know... If you think about it, it kind of was scary to both of us. I said, that's kind of weird, isn't it? Because I said, I don't know of another guy that would have fit that description that I work with. So I was supposed to get her ticket. And Tina Bach is her name. Tina, would you just raise your hand here? She's right here if you all would all meet her. And she said, well, I'm coming tonight. So I hope I don't disappoint her. And I hope your Internet's working because you know how that works. I'm always scared when I see somebody I've had as a customer in public. I'm thinking, oh, boy, here's... No, I'm kidding. Well, it's good to be here again. And as you know, we're studying the marks of Christian maturity. And, and it is a 12-part lesson, so I'm only going to get to a couple of lessons this time, but maybe on another occasion we can continue some of the rest of the lessons. But tonight I'm going to talk to you about becoming a worshiper. Now, some of this stuff to, to you seasoned Christians is going to be sort of Christianity 101. I understand that. But I believe it's still stuff we need to cover from time to time. And, of course, we can always improve, as I've always uh, have proven in my life, uh, all the time. So tonight we'll talk about becoming a worshiper. I believe that every person in the world picks uh, an object that they value above any other object. There's something that uh, is of worth to that person. And every person has this one thing in their life that's their extreme passion. Now you may have to put some thought to it. Um, some of us pick some, some odd things that we get involved in, but it's the foundation kind of around which everything else revolves. It's kind of like a pivot 
in our life that everything else revolves around. You're all familiar with the pivot sprinklers we have all over the Texas Panhandle. You know, I couldn't understand why all the crops were round here in the Panhandle. I went flying and there was nothing but circles everywhere and I thought that proves there were aliens here. I mean, there's crop circles all over the place. But I soon learned that those are, you know, pivot sprinklers and that's the best way to water and so most of our crops are grown that way. But that's sort of like our lives are too. Our lives have some sort of pivot point uh, that everything else revolves around. It's our main focus in life or it's our filter through which all of our decisions are made. And you might even kind of call it the glue. It's what you think about. It's what you dream about. And it's what you spend the majority of your time and maybe even your money on. So in some ways you could say it's kind of what we worship. I looked up the definition of worship. One that I found, it says giving value or worth to something or someone. And then I looked at Webster, and Webster actually defines it. You know, Webster was a God believer. He says, paying reverent honor and homage to God or a sacred person or to any object regarded as sacred. So see, I like the first part of that definition, then I kind of stopped on that second part. Because what that says to me, by human standards, that could include a lot of things. In other words, not just God. So I think it's fair to say then that based on the previous definition, all of us are great worshipers, but the issue is what are we worshipers of? I know people that are worshipers of money. That's all they think about. I've got a couple of guys I work with, man, they cannot make enough money. In fact, they make about twice a year what the rest of us do. Now, there's a lot of overtime available at AT&T, and I do take some of it for obvious reasons. We need the money. But Karina and I have decided there's a balance there because when I work, I don't get to spend time with her. And so, you know, how can you put a price on that, especially in her condition? So we've agreed that I won't work any more overtime than what we just have to have to pay our bills and to get by at this point in time. But I work with some guys that money's everything to them. And then I also know some people that uh, feel the same way about their job there. I mean, their job is everything. They love their job there. Now, I like my job. I appreciate my job. They're kind of a hard company to work for at times, as most corporations are. A lot of rules, a lot of red tape. And every morning we come in for what we call the morning beating. <laughs> it's basically where we look at all the graphs from the day before, and they tell you what you did wrong. Not what you did right. This is what you did wrong. This is where you messed up. And we just kind of get that out of the way so we can get on with our day and screw up again. But anyway, we... Uh, we have a good job. It is a good job. But I have some friends of mine that that job's everything to them. In fact, they will forsake time with their children. They'll miss events with their children in order to be there on that job. And, of course, that's connected to the money, too. They'll also put their marriage on the back burner. A friend of mine, sadly, had worked so much that eventually he wound up in a divorce because he was never home. They'll even give up going to church in a lot of cases. People will in order to go to their job, right? I knew a, a man in... Flint, Michigan. In fact, he happened to be our song leader in the Church of Christ there where my dad was preaching. Really good man, but he worked for General Motors. Well, they offered double time on Sundays. So when they would do that, a lot of times he would skip church in order to work double time. And he would always say, well, how could I turn that down? I'd be stupid. But of course, what he failed to realize was where the money was coming from or where the job was coming from in the first place. I know people who worship their children. Or maybe for you, it's your grandchildren. I have grandchildren. But of course, we're supposed to adore our children, but they were never supposed to be the pivot point of our life. 
I know people, and, and so do you, who will skip church in order to take their child to a soccer match or maybe to a, a Boy Scout event, you know, week after week. I've known some people like that. And the parents will say, well, it was a tournament or they were going to get a merit badge. But, of course, the most precious medal or badge that they could give that child is the badge of honoring God. And it's a badge that says, I'm sorry, son, I know that you're probably not going to get that patch to wear on your shirt, and you may not be able to go to the game and play this week, but we don't skip worshiping God. We're always there, and we're there to serve on God's special day of the week, so you might as well get used to that. When I was a, uh, a young kid in Missouri, my dad was preaching for a church of Christ in a town called El Dorado Springs. And I played all the sports. I played football and basketball and baseball. And we were just this, it was a small school, so we all just moved from one sport to another. And the first week of basketball looked like the last week of football. We were basically tackling each other for the ball. It was hard to get used to going from run all over somebody that you can't touch them. But in any case, we played every sport. And I got to be on the first string pretty often because there weren't that many guys to choose from. That tells you how desperate we were. So I was on the first string most of the time. And uh, the same two guys were always on the bench. It was kind of sad. But anyway, we had games on Wednesday night when it came to basketball. Now, football wasn't that way. It was on the weekend. But basketball, a lot of times, would fall during the week. So on one such occasion, I recall going to my dad and said, Dad, I've got a game tonight. And it's a home game, and I need to be there. I'm starting. And he said, well, you're not going to be there. I said, Dad. And of course, I already knew how he was going to feel about it. Now, come on, Dad. I said, it's one Wednesday night. The team really <laughs> needs me. You know, I scored two points the whole last game. So I'm going to be a great addition to the team. And he said, no. Well, I got to looking at the times. I said, hey, look at this. I said, you know, it starts early enough that I could probably play the first half. If I could talk the coach into that, would that be all right with you? And he said, sure. So I talked to the coach, and I really didn't think he'd let me. But he was actually okay with it. In fact, he said, I understand. So I started, and I played the first half. And I remember that when all the boys were sitting in the locker room at halftime getting their pep talk, I was changing clothes. And several of the guys came up to me as they were going back out to play, and they shook my hand, and they said, thank you for being here. And you know what? It meant a lot to me that I could honor that commitment to God. And I learned down the road that I, I had gained a lot of respect from my classmates just because of that. They knew that if there was a church event, I was going to be there. <clears throat> Some people, of course, worship sports. I was just talking to someone tonight about golf. Boy, we got a lot of golf worshipers, I know. Probably here, too. I will let you know, I respect you highly. I know golf can be an addiction and something that we do a lot when you really get into it. I was never any good at it. In fact, I'd never played golf till I was in my early 30s. And I went to work for a company as a salesman and it was required that you play golf. And when they first told me that, I thought they were joking. How can you make me play golf? And they said, well, the owner of the company hosts a sales meeting at a PGA course somewhere in the U.S., pays all expenses paid once a year, and everybody golfs. No exceptions. He flies his golf cart and his clubs into the meeting so he can golf. And he insists that you let him hit all the difficult strokes. Well, for me, that was every stroke. You know, all mine were difficult. So I actually had to get my cousin, who was a golfer, to help me go to the, to the range and to start hitting some balls. I didn't know how to hit a golf ball. And I bought an expensive set of pings. And they were good clubs. But for me, they turned out to just be an expensive set of shovels. 
because I hacked that course all to pieces. And you know, I remember I was the only one in um, Tampa Bay, Florida on a PGA course that came back for a second bucket of sand. <laughs> and that guy said, what are you doing out there? I said, I don't know, but watch your step on that third tee. It's kind of dangerous. <clears throat> I also, and I know this is going to sound weird, but when I was younger, I kind of became addicted around the age of 12 to playing the banjo. Now, I play a little five-string banjo still. A friend of mine had learned to play the guitar, so I wanted a guitar. Mom bought me a guitar. Well, once I could play a few songs, he bought a banjo. Well, I'd never thought about playing a banjo, but I kind of like bluegrass. And I thought, well, if he could do it, I could do it. So I taught my mom to buy me a banjo for Christmas. So I sat around for months. I didn't realize how hard the banjo was to play. It's extremely irritating. But it's more irritating to the people that are listening to you try to learn. So I pretty much drove my family crazy. And I would sit in isolation every day during the summer when I got this thing. And I would play the banjo over and over and over again, the same notes over and over, and, until my mom would say, play something else. Play something else. Well, I didn't know anything else. But anyway, <clears throat> I became kind of addicted to that, and it was something that I just had my whole focus on. And I remember that during that summer, uh, right after I'd gotten it, most of my friends were out kicking a football. But I was practicing on the banjo. But I want you to know that it paid off. Because now I can drop kick that thing about 50 yards. <laughs> but seriously, now I want to ask you something. What's the object of your worship? You see, as a mature child of God, when I give my whole life to God, and the Holy Spirit takes up residency in my heart, and He sits on the throne of my heart, He simply says, I am now the object of your worship. I'm now the pivot around which all the other decisions are made in your life. <clears throat> you know, we've read in the Bible that God's a jealous God. And we need to take that a little more seriously because what that means is that God is unwilling to share the throne of your heart with anyone else or anything else. He says, I'm not going to share the throne with your money. I'm not going to share the throne with your job. I'm not going to share the throne with your family. I'm either going to be the Lord of all in your life or I'm not going to be the Lord at all in your life. I will not share my throne. So it's important, I believe, that as mature Christians, we become expert worshipers. We just need to know who belongs on the throne and who's at the center of our worship. And of course, our worship has to give God the glory, has to give Him the honor, make Him famous in all the earth. So the way I picture this is that there's basically three circles that revolve around the area of worship in our lives. There's the outer larger circle, and then there's a smaller circle on that, and then there's a smaller circle on that in the middle. So if you can imagine that picture with me for just a few minutes. The first or the larger circle that surrounds my whole life, it encompasses everything, is, it, it represents the entirety of everything that I am. It's my Family, it's, it's my job, it's everything. It's everything included in my life. It's all in that circle, okay? Now, in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, <clears throat> Therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's saying that God's going to transform us 
into something new by changing the way we think. Isn't that amazing? He's going to change the way we think. Remember, before we can change anyone else, and before we can change the direction of the church, we first have to change ourselves. And that transformation process throughout our entire life is our spiritual act of worship. So what that means is no longer is worship just something that I go to once a week and then forget about it till the next Sunday. But rather, everything I am in my life, everything that I do is worship. The way I perform my job is worship. I either honor him on my job or I don't honor him on my job. My relationships, my friendships, my children, my spouse, everything I do relationally is worship to God. That's where all that stuff fits in. What I do with my money is worship to God. What I do with my free time is worship to God. You see, the biggest picture of my life, that outer circle that encompasses everything that I am. First and foremost, I'm a worshiper above everything else. By my actions, I'm telling God just what I think of him. And that I want him to be in that position where he sits at the center of my heart on his throne. And the reason I want to do that is because my actions speak louder than words, right? We can say all day long, God, I love you and then just completely ignore him the rest of the day. It's easy to do. God, I'm going to pray to you real quick, and then I'm done with that, and I'm going to move on and do my job. But instead, I'm saying, God, you're part of everything I do all day long. You're the pivot point of my life. You're the first thing I think about every morning. You're what I think about all day. And you're in the middle of every major decision I make in my life. One of the things Karina and I agreed on years ago, <clears throat> because we continued to make poor decisions, a lot, was that we were going to start asking God ahead of time and just kind of let him lead us. And boy, it turned around overnight. I'm not kidding you. You know, I, we were hurting financially, and it was amazing when we turned it all over to God. And I remember going to God one night beside the bed on my knees in tears. And I said, God, you know, we have a nice home, and I appreciate that. It was kind of a run-down old double-wide mobile home in the middle of nowhere, but it was home, and we appreciated it. But I said... I'm having to work on my car every day to get it to work and back. And I was fogging for mosquitoes both directions. It was horrible. My older daughter was in the seventh grade, and I can remember driving her to school one morning, and I mean, I had a black cloud behind me. <laughs> and she just started sliding down in the seat. And I saw her, and finally I looked over and I said, do you want me to drop you off about a block early? And she goes, would you, Dad, please? And so I'm like, God, could you just give me a a good car. I didn't want a new car. Just a good used car would be nice. Did you know within a few months we only know I had a new car. We had a nice home. I had a better job. It was amazing what happened when we put God at the center in the throne of our heart. Things began to change for us. So that's what I'm telling God. Above all, I give you my worship. So I'm no longer just worshiping on Sunday morning like we always think of. I'm a worshiper 24-7. And I know all that sounds good, and we, we talk about it all the time. But we also know that there's this thing going on within all of us. It's this war that we have going on in our hearts. Because the flesh is always trying to rival that position for the throne of your heart. You're always tempted. And I, I find the best way to overcome this, of course, is to go to God first thing every day. But you have to be aware that that war is going on, or it'll creep in on you. So in order to allow God to win this battle, honestly, we just need to grow up. 
We need to be a little more mature as a Christian so that every little thing doesn't grab us or distract us. That comes with maturity. We just need to grow up. We need to take a step towards spiritual maturity. And the first step, as I said, that we can take in that is to bring God into our day every day. I, I call it my morning quiet time. Um, you can call it whatever you want, but I like to get up a few minutes early and just sit and be quiet. <laughs> and for me, you can tell that's a hard thing to do. Because, you know, God's trying to tell me something and I won't quit talking. When people meet Corrine and I separately, they always think the other one's quiet. Because, you know, we're both so talkative. But, you know, we kind of just kind of compete for conversation all the time. But in any case, I like to sit and just be quiet. Spend some quiet time with God in the morning. Think of it this way. How could you ever expect to build a relationship with someone if you don't listen to them? You have to listen to God. So don't say anything. Just sit and listen. I call this um, quiet time of mine basically my, my personal one-on-one -on -one time with God. And I, Karina knows that I have this time. And sometimes she'll walk in and she'll say, oh, I'm sorry. I forget you're in your quiet time. And, of course, I don't make her leave the room, but she understands that this is part of my life. But I want to make sure that God understands at the beginning of my day, God, I'm putting you on the throne today. You're the center of my life today. And I need to do that every day. It's not something we just need to do once in a while. Every day we need to start with saying, God, today you're on the center of the throne of my heart. You're number one. You're the pivot point today. I'm going to make all my decisions around that. So I would suggest that. It's a good thing to do in your life. Put God back on the throne every morning. Let Him know that it's Him and no one else. You're God, and you're going to be the filter in my life today. Another way, one way that I think is probably familiar to all of you, is to speak to God, obviously. So after my quiet time, I pray. Talk to God. I mean, again, what kind of relationship would you have with somebody if you never talked to them? <laughs> so we need to speak to God on a regular basis. And you can do that in a lot of different ways. You can do it through prayer. You can also do it through music, praise music. Did you know that? A hymn. If you have some music you like, I'm looking at this crowd and I'm thinking maybe y'all all like rap music. Is that right? Pretty much rappers, okay? Kanye West maybe? I, I'll maybe, I don't know. But you know, instead of listening to rap, which I think rap music's an oxymoron anyway. I don't see how those two go together, rap music. But anyway, <clears throat> put something on you like to listen to. If you have a CD of a quartet you like or a choir or some hymns that you enjoy, put it on. It's surprising how good your day goes when that's playing in the background on a regular basis instead of something that's not godly. And of course, also very important is we need the Word of God in our life on a regular basis. And again, this is Christianity one-on-one. -on -one. But the Bible is to a Christian like water is to our bodies. We can't live without it. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, for rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. So what do you read? All of it. It's all useful. There's nothing in there that God didn't want you to read. You see, I need the Word of God to keep me in line. And that's the truth in my life. I need the Word of God to remind me daily about who I am and who He expects me to be. Now, I already know that, but when I read it again, I'm thinking, oh, He saw me read that. <laughs> I'm going to go along with that. 
It reminds me of who I'm supposed to. It convicts me. It also tells me which way I need to go in order to get back on track when I fall off track. A lot of times when we're in the middle of controversy, Karina and I will just sit down and pray and then we'll read some scripture together just to remind us where we're supposed to be centered. It's so easy to get off track, and especially when you have heartache or hardships in your life, and you know this, uh, that can drag you down. And, I, and as Dick said, I've experienced plenty of that in my life, and the only thing that's kept me going through all that is my faith. That's it. You know, when my mother was murdered, I didn't think I'd even be able to get out of bed again. It literally took the breath out of me when they called me. I was the first person the sheriff called because they found my number in her purse. I was the guy that had to go pick up her car from the murder scene. It was the most horrific thing you could ever imagine. And to know how brutally she was killed, just, it just broke my heart so bad. It still does. And I still occasionally think about it and I break down. I've never gotten over it. You don't get over a thing like that. You just kind of learn to live with it. But I didn't think I could even get out of bed. But you know, I had a little baby girl at the time, and I had a wife, and I had responsibilities. And so in a week or so, I went back to work. And I remember, and my job was so good to me, they paid me while I was off because they knew what had happened. And when I got there, my boss said, Don, you don't need to be here. Go home. Take some more time off. We understand. I said, no, I, I need to work. <laughs> I need to get moving, you know, because I'm just sitting around crying every day. But all that got me through all of those hardships was my faith in someone greater and something greater. And I also knew that when I lost my loved ones, they were in a better place. They may have gotten there the hard way, but I knew where they were. And that brought great comfort to me. And so occasionally now, I'll go back to that little town in Missouri where my sister and my mother are buried side by side under a large oak tree, and I'll stand there and I'll cry. <laughs> but I'll also smile because there's a lot of good memories too. That was the bad memory at the very end, but there was a whole lot of good stuff before that. And so I reminisce and I think about how wonderful our times were together. But my faith got me through that. <clears throat> so I have to have the Word of God to get me back on track and to keep me on track. Because the world is full of these would-be gods, and you know what I'm talking about, and they all wish to sit on that throne in your heart. They all want that position of authority. And one of the best ways to defeat them is by immersing yourself in the Word of God daily. Just equip yourself for righteousness every day. And you may not have ever thought this, or maybe you have, but did you know that reading the Word of God is a form of worship to Him? It's a form of worship to God, because by reading His Word, it centers your thoughts on Christ, on things above. It takes you off the throne, and it puts God in His rightful place. <clears throat> Finally, you know, outside of these things, I, uh, I need to know how to pray. I need to take my prayers to God. I need to take my desires to Him, my concerns to Him one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what I do. I'm always cautious, and you can pray any way you want, but in my heart, I always make sure that I thank God first for everything He's done for me, because I feel like I want you to know before I ask for this thing I'm going to ask you for, <laughs> that I really appreciate what you've already done. Because, man, I really am blessed. My life is so blessed. And in spite of the things that we're going through, we both believe that we're extremely blessed. God's been so good over the years to the Willingham family. So I, that's what I asked for. But I also ask, believing that he's going to answer me. I believe God will answer me. And I've seen some things that will 
just raise the hair on the back of your neck, you know, when I've prayed because it's so obvious that God answered this exactly the way I asked him to. Just unbelievable. So when I pray for the well-being of my family, I believe it's going to happen. When I pray for the growth of this church, which I do, I believe it's going to happen. Even when I pray for something as little as rain, I believe it's going to happen. And I know what you're saying. Why don't you start doing that? We do need it, don't we? But I believe it's going to happen. I remember when I preached at another church here in town years ago, we got on a rain prayer mission for about two weeks. It came a literal downpour for almost a week. That's the honest truth. I call that whatever you want, but I call it God answering prayer. So I believe those things. Why do I believe? Because I serve a God with no limits. And that same God says that when I come to him in sincere worship, in whatever form it is, whether it's in word or in prayer or in song, brother, you can bet something's going to happen. The problem is with the people in the world is they ask for nothing, and they believe in nothing, and they get what they want 100% of the time. They don't understand how that works. Now, I think most of us know how to pray, <clears throat> and we've had a lot of experience. Christians are good at praying. That's something I admire about them, and Church of Christ especially. You're good at praying. But, I mean, we can always improve the way we pray, right? There's always room for improvement in how we speak to the Heavenly Father. Kind of reminds me of these two men that were walking together, and the first one challenged the other, and he goes, well, if you're so religious, I'd like to hear you cite the Lord's Prayer. He said, I bet you $10 that you can't. The man didn't even hesitate. He said, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, I pray the Lord my soul to take. You know, the guy reached in his pocket, pulled out a $10 bill, and he said, I didn't think you could do it. <laughs> Prayer, my friends, needs to be part of our daily worship to God. We need to spend some quiet time with God. We need to talk to God. And you know, I don't talk to God in a formal way. I just talk to him like me. I just pour out my heart. Because God knows who I really am. I can't fool him if I go in a deeper voice or if I try to use bigger words. I mean, God knows every language. I'm just me. And if I feel like crying, I cry. Or if I feel like laughing, I, I laugh. And I'll tell God, wow, God, you really amazed me on that. Thank you for doing that for me. Take it to God. I mean, when people come to me and they say, I'm having a problem in my life, Don, whatever it may happen to be, I'll always tell them, well, I'll talk to you. And, you know, I'm willing to pray for you. You can even cry on my shoulder if you want. But let me ask you this. Why would you take that to a man when you could take it to the God of heaven? You know? And so I'll ask them, how's your prayer life? Do you pray? And surprising how many times they'll say, no, I, I really don't. I said, let me show you what's available to you. This is going to blow your mind. You can speak directly to the creator of the universe. That's awesome. He's just a breath away. I'm kind of a science buff. I love science stuff. I'm not super intelligent, I don't believe, but I do like scientific stuff. I like space travel, and, you know, I'm, I'm interested in nanotechnology. All this stuff that's coming out just fascinates me. You know, they're going to be able to put all these <laughs> microscopic bugs in us that'll fix things. I don't know how that's going to work out. You know, if the doctor's sitting there with remote control, I said, no, I didn't mean for you to do that. I mean, you know, that's kind of dangerous. But in any case, I'm interested in all that stuff, so I read a lot. And I was reading here a while back about all the, you know, the 77 trace minerals in our body. And, 
And uh, it had reminded me that one time I had taken this product when Karina and I first got married that a friend of mine sold me called Ultra Body Toddy. And basically it had the 77 trace elements in your body that your body requires. And he said, the reason, Don, that we grow old and die is because these, these things go away over time. And you can't eat enough food to get them back. But he said, using these uh, natives that live high up in the mountains, down in South America, they found these minerals all in these rocks and they've sent them up there and they brought them, and they found these natives are living to be like really old. And so they've got it in a bottle and you just take a shot every day and man, you'll be surprised. So we bought into it. And uh, it was a few weeks later that I got a tape, a cassette tape that was talking about it. It was the doctor who had invented it. And he was claiming on that tape that if you took that stuff faithfully through your life, you could live to be 150 or 60 years old. So we threw it down the drain immediately. <laughs> it scared me to death. I said, who in their right mind would want to live to be 150? I'll live everybody you know three times over. I mean, what fun would that be? So yeah, I got rid of that stuff. That was dangerous. But I also found out during that time that the body needs about three quarts of water a day to live healthily. Do we have any water drinkers in here that really drink? Yeah, I do too. Three quarts is a lot of water. Doesn't sound like that much. But when you put it all together and you think, I've got to get all that down. And I also found there's another side effect that goes along with drinking a lot of water. You may know what I'm talking about. So that creates a problem when I'm up on a pole hanging by a belt. And I'm thinking, really? Right now? So anyway, <laughs> of course, that's the way it always works. But you need that water to soften your food for digestion. And we need it, of course, because your blood is 90% H2O. So you need it for your blood because it carries nutrients to your body. And did you know that blood or water also is a lubricant? It lubricates your joints. And they say that if you drink enough of it that you, your muscles and your joints and stuff won't creak or grind. It's not working for me at this point in my life. But I'm trying. <laughs> Maybe I'm not drinking enough. Maybe that's the problem. But in any case, we have to learn the value of water, right? It's important. I've tried to teach my daughters the value of drinking water, because they'll drink soda pops all day or whatever, and I say, you need to drink water. Your body needs water. And even my older daughter said, Dad, I drink coffee. It's got water in it. No, not the same thing, honey. So in any case, we learned the value of water. Well, to worship God is to recognize His worthiness. To just look Godward and acknowledge in all the appropriate ways that we know who he is and what he is and how important he is in our life. And you know as a parent what that would mean to you if one of your child, children did that for you? When my, one of my daughters says, Dad, I love you. I had one of them here a while back and I said, Honey, you're such a hard worker. I'm so proud of you. And she goes, It's because of your example, Dad. Well, it choked me up. I didn't know she was paying any attention. Uh, Lord knows there's a lot of other things she didn't catch. <laughs> but, you know... She said, you, you show me an example how you get up every day and go to work, and that's why I'm the way I am. But you know how that makes God feel when we acknowledge those things? And the Bible calls this activity glorifying God or giving glory to God. And really it views it as the ultimate end. From one point of view, it actually views it as our whole purpose for being here. That's our reason for being here is to worship God. That's why he created us. So we're just fulfilling what God put us here for. I went through and I picked out six things that I found that we should do in glorifying God. Now, there's probably more, and I may have missed some, so don't get upset if I didn't name one that you know. But 
Here are some of the things I think we should do when we glorify God. First, we should praise God. Always praise God. Next, we should thank God. Like I said, thank him up front for everything he's done for us, everything he's given us. I realize a lot of times when, <clears throat> like when I pray that my daughter won't have any more accidents or incidents in her car, because bless her heart, she's a one-woman wrecking ball. But I say, God, please don't let her. Well, and then she has one. And I'm thinking, God, you know, I asked you about this. What happened? And then I realized she wasn't hurt. So God did answer my prayer. For whatever reason, she still had the wreck because she has free choice, and her choice is to not look at the road. But in any case, you know, God kept her safe. So that is an answer to prayer, right? And it's the most important part. So thank God. Next, ask him to meet your needs or the needs of others. And then, of course, offer to him something in return. God, I give myself, my life to you. I offer whatever gifts that I have to you in service to you. Is there something I could do for someone else that you can direct me to? And then, of course, we honor God when we learn about him, when we study his word. He sees that we're passionate about learning or knowing more about him or being close to him. And then finally, we obey those words. Whether it's what we read or what we hear from the pulpit or what we hear in a classroom, we obey those words. So those are some ways that we can praise God in our worship. Finally, that third and inner circle. You got the outer circle, the middle circle, now the inner circle is corporate worship. And this is the worship that most of us are familiar with. In fact, if I ask you about worship, this is the thought most people will get in their mind. It's what happens every Sunday right here from what, about 8.30 to 11.30? Is that about right? Yeah, right here. Corporate worship where we all come together. And I want you to know, and I'm in a way kind of embarrassed about this, but at least for me, worship is a mystery of sorts. And I'll try to explain why. But the book of Ephesians tells us that when the church comes together, God is there. That's what it says. God is there. In fact, the psalmist says God inhabits the praises of his people. And Jesus says, where two or more of you gather in my name, I will be there also. And yes, we know the Holy Spirit lives in each one of us. We're familiar with that as Christians, and we know that God's everywhere, and he's with us all the time. But that's different, okay? In my mind. There's just something powerful that happens when we assemble together as a church, and we've prepared our hearts to meet God corporately. And God says, when you come to worship, when you come to praise, when you come together as a church and your focus is all about me, now listen to this, I'll show up. Man, does that raise the hair on the back of your neck? I'll show up. He says, I'll show up and I'll do powerful things in the life of the church. I'll begin to move and I'll begin to work and lives will be changed and things will be done for the kingdom. Miraculous things. Spectacular things, glorious things in my name because I'm God. And when you come together to worship me, I'll be there too. And he says, I'll reconcile relationships among you. I'll heal marriages. I'll forgive sin. I'm going to heal hurts and change lives. But first, you have to come and you have to call on my name. So, I just want to ask you this evening as we're closing... I wonder what it would be like if it would be any different if we just made an effort in each one of our hearts and in our minds to start coming together every week 
for our corporate worship, expecting the God of the universe, who reigns over all things, to show up here. Expect it. What would it be like if we came in here knowing that on this particular day, someone's life's going to be changed? That's no little thing to that person. We have people that come in here all the time that have things we don't know about, that are bearing burdens that we can't imagine. And if God changes their heart, that's a huge thing for them. We need to expect that to happen. And we begin to understand that it's not about us at all. We're not the audience. We're not here to be entertained. We're not here to just take what we want and go home. But instead, God is the audience. And we're the participants in a mysterious and supernatural worship of the Almighty. And when the Almighty is worshipped, He comes down in His Holy Spirit and He hovers over this place. And when that happens, huge things can happen in the hearts of men and women. And when you come in here with that spirit and with that attitude that it's no longer about you, but instead it's all about him, you're going to find out that you're fed. That's what feeds your heart, to know that you are in the presence of God. When we sing that song, We're Standing on Holy Ground, I believe that. I believe he's here. And it's not the building. It's the church. He came here because we're here and because we're calling on his name and because we believe that he'll show up. Somebody comes in here today hurting, they go home changed. Why? Because they came here to give and in return they receive. No one should ever leave this place of worship empty-handed. Nobody. So what would happen if we were just all willing corporately to forget about our backgrounds? to forget about what we've been through or where we've come from because obviously that's a different story for every one of us. Forget about what people might think <laughs> and just be willing to go back to the scripture. And when the psalmist says, I want you to shout, we shout. Or when he says, clap to the Lord, we're willing to clap for God. Or he says, sing with all your hearts, we sing with all of our hearts. What would happen if we got more excited about church than we do at the Friday night football game where we're willing to show all of our emotions publicly without any shame? What would happen? What happens if we get rid of the traditions and the legalism, get out of our comfort zone just a little bit, and just give God our everything? What would happen? I'm going to pose a question to you, and you can laugh if you want. I was trying to think who I could use in this scenario, but let's just say that we found out that this Sunday morning, Donald Trump is going to speak here on this stage. Now, some of you might not be interested in that. Personally, I'd like to hear him talk in person. He's kind of an interesting guy, and he is the next president. So I think we could pack this place beyond capacity if the word got out, because you see the kind of crowds he's drawing. We'd probably have to put jumbotron screens in the parking lot, but... If we found out that Donald Trump was going to be here Sunday morning on that stage, would we show up late? Would we casually talk to our friends during his speech? Would we possibly lean over to our neighbor three-quarters of the way through and say, hey, where do you want to eat lunch today? You know? Would you let your cell phone go off if Donald Trump were speaking? I know it happens. It's happened to me. A few years ago, I was preaching, and we had a pretty good crowd. And there was a, 
lady in her 30s sitting down in the second row, and her cell phone went off in the middle of my sermon. And it was really loud, and it was not a good church ringtone, let's just say. So it was a little uncomfortable. And she let it ring like three times, and I couldn't hardly talk over it, and everybody was looking at her and wasn't paying attention to me, so I just stopped preaching temporarily. I thought, well, I'll give her a chance to turn it off. You know what she did? She put her Bluetooth on and said, hello? <laughs> and we're all looking at her. We're in the middle of the sermon. Hello? What? No, I can't talk right now. I'm at church. I said I'm at church. I'll have to call you later. And then she hung up. I had an elder come up to me. He said, did you know that your jaw was on the pulpit during that whole incident? I said, I was just in disbelief that she answered it. I couldn't believe it. Would we do that if somebody famous were speaking? Let me tell you what I believe. Donald Trump's an interesting guy, and he's an unusual guy, as you know. But he's just a man. As my granddad used to say, he puts his pants on the same way as every other guy every morning. Now, they may be a little more expensive than my pants. I'm going to give you that. But he puts them on the same way. Or his butler helps him. I don't know. But anyway, he puts pants on. But he's just a man. And we're coming here to listen to a man who's going to run the nation. But God runs the universe. <laughs> the universe. And God says, I'm on stage. I'm right here beside you. I've come down to be with you. Pay attention. Worship me. Give me worth. Give me value. Make me famous in all the earth. I wonder what it would look like if we just did that, if we only believed that with all of our hearts to the core of our beings, that we just abandoned ourselves altogether and just believed it. How many more lives would be changed in this place when we commit to the selfless act of worship? Because we know that in the church it has nothing to do with us. It's all about God. I've, uh, I've always been a dreamer. You know, I love to dream. I like to think big. Sometimes I think of things that may be ridiculous, sound ridiculous. But my dad taught me that. He was a motivational speaker, too. And I always loved him. I'd say, think big and act bold. And so he'd say, you can have anything you set your heart on, Don. So that's what I believed as a young man. And I remember one day he brought me into a study and sat me down and said, son, I know all this stuff that I've taught you. And that's all well and good because I need you to get your head out of the clouds and live your life every day a little bit, be a little more responsible. What kind of upset me? He said, look, you've got to live life every day and you've got to at least live it enough to take those steps toward what you want to achieve. You can't always have your head in the clouds dreaming about things. And then I remember he told me, I tell you to think big and act bold, Don. But he said, it's not because you're great. It's because God is great. And you belong to him. So I dream of the day, and, and I believe it's possible, Dick. I, we've seen it before. I believe the day when every seat in here is filled all the way to the back. It can happen. There's no reason it shouldn't happen. It can happen. I dream of the day when we can just get out of God's way and let him do his work here. You've heard of letting God out of the box. That's what we need to do. And we don't think we have God in the box. But you know what we do is we design the church the way we want it. We design our programs and get everybody in there just the way we want it. Say, hey, God, here's what we've come up with. Could you get in there and help us with it? <laughs> you know? Instead of starting by saying, God, to tell you what, you just get out of the box and you tell us what you want us to do. There are no limits. Show us where you want us to go. Lead us. Let him out of the box. And finally, and this may be a big one, but I dream of the day that we can just kind of leave each other alone, <laughs> get along, 
completely with one another and focus only on the vision of Christ. And you know, I don't say that in a smart aleck way. I've, I've seen a lot in my day growing up in the church and also as a minister in the church. I once had to pull two little old ladies apart who were pulling each other's hair in church. Literally had to come between them. Nearly got a black eye myself in the process. Because one of them didn't like the other. She pulled her hair in class and she came over the chair and they got into it. These ladies were in their 70s. Yeah, I've seen it. See, it's not about the preaching. It's not about you and me. It's not about the praise team. It's all about him. I wonder what changes we could make in this church and even in the world. You know, we can make a lot of changes in the world from right here. We have the World Wide Web available to us. We can reach everybody in the world now from right here. Isn't that an amazing technology? And we can use it for good. But before we can change anybody, we first have to change ourselves. So you and I first have to become a true worshiper in everything we do every day of our life. What is the center of worship in your life? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you first of all for loving us so much that you sent your son for us. And Father, we're amazed and in awe at all the things you do every day in our life, the provisions you provide, the nice warm homes that we'll all go home to, the good food we eat, every little provision, Father, that we need, and sometimes take for granted. But Father, we thank you for every good thing in our life that comes from you. Father, it's our prayer that you help us from this day forward to center the worship in our life around you. It's our prayer, Father, that you sit on the throne of each and every heart here tonight. God, help us when we go out on the world to worship you in all we do, to honor you and to praise you. And in so doing, lead someone else to you. God bless this church. I pray that you will show us amazing things here in the future. Incredible things, Father. Things that we can't even think of or imagine. Show them to us, Father. And give us the courage to walk through that door when you open it. And Father, above all, I pray that you would bring unity to us. Help us to learn to overlook each other's faults. To sometimes just agree to disagree. And to always put you first in our hearts and in this place. Father, become the center of our worship now. And as we go home, Father, keep us safe, bless us, forgive us of our sins. We pray these things believing that we will receive them. In the name of Jesus, amen.